Welcome to the Vox Pop, a podcast of Missio Dei Church. We believe that everyone has a story worth telling, and this podcast gives voice to those stories. Well, everybody, Peter is out today, and so you're stuck with me. Uh, it's fun to be able to do an episode. I haven't done one in a while. I'm Brian. And I'm Hannah. We got Ryan Christian with us today. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Whoop, whoop. How's that sun in your eyes? <laughs> <laughs> it's real good. Yeah. Real good. Recording late afternoon. Hey, this episode will come out uh, on or around Thanksgiving. What's what's your favorite Thanksgiving food? I'm a pretty big fan of stuffing. Growing up, I really wasn't, and I think it was somewhere about ten or fifteen years, uh, ten or twelve years ago, we just started making Thanksgiving our on our own, and we started using stovetop stuffing. Stovetop. And apparently I was eating homemade stuffing all my life and don't really care for that. Mm. So <laughs> go, go stove top. <laughs> Do you actually stuff it in the bird? I don't care for that as much. So isn't it then actually considered dressing? If it is, I don't call it that. But stove okay. top calls it stuffing, regardless of whether you put it in the bird or not. I don't even know it's stove top. Is that like a brand? Yeah. Don't. Oh, you're too young to remember the commercials. I'm not too young. Why are people constantly <laughs> telling me I'm too young this week? <laughs> In addition to... Well, that I don't know, <laughs> Hannah. That's a whole other podcast episode. In addition Listen, to stuffing. When I was growing up, there were commercials on TV, and it'd be like, hey, what are we having tonight for dinner? Oh, we're having stovetop. And they'd be like, Timmy down the road invited me for dinner. What is he having stovetop? And it was yeah. the, these commercials about, like, you can't get enough stovetop, yeah. apparently. Mm-hmm. I've right? slept since childhood, so I don't remember much. I don't re- Ask my wife. I don't remember many things, but but I have stove a, top commercial. <laughs> I got a ton of useless information up here. Awesome, and Bible stuff that's mm. useful, but mm-hmm. that's pretty much it. Yeah. And NASCAR statistics. Again, useless. Not a big fan of mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. Oh, I love mashed potatoes, man. Most other times, I will definitely eat mashed potatoes, but I feel like on Thanksgiving, there's so much other things that I mm. want to be eating that yeah. mashed potatoes are the last. How about what are you liking on Thanksgiving? Well, um, growing up, my family, none of us girls liked uh, turkey. So one year, my mom was like, I'm not doing this. So we ate filet for (laughs) Thanksgiving from when I was like in middle school on because I think a cooked bird is disgusting. I know. Chicken? Like a a bird chicken with bones. (laughs) A whole chicken, that's the word. So you don't, there we go. you don't even do rotisserie chickens? No. No, I think they taste awful. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Hannah. I know. I just, I, they're so easy. I want to like them, but there's a certain taste in there that I can't do. Deliciousness? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, my family was pretty – so we just – Thanksgiving was never – like we didn't have stuffing, dressing – we didn't. We had mashed potatoes and then like Brussels sprouts or asparagus and salad and rolls. It was lackluster. I'm a big fan of Thanksgiving dinner as a whole, mm-hmm. but even more than that, I like Thanksgiving dinner leftovers for a solid week afterwards. All right, yeah. you guys eat the. I mean, you don't eat the turkey, but turkey sandwich with or without cranberry sauce. Always with. Yes, mm-hmm. so good. Just, I thought it was weird for a long time, and then I tried it, especially the. Canned stuff oh, like that's the jelly. Oh my gosh! It's conformed to the <laughs> yeah, can. it has the shape of the can. It just yeah. kind of plops finest. out of there, right? So good. Love it. My nana used to make um, sweet potatoes. Mm. That was they were super good. Or what? maybe you call them candied yams. No, no, they are sweet potatoes. 
<laughs> Some people call them different things, but she did. We were talking about this before we got on the air. She did pecans on the top and marshmallows. That's crazy. She crazy. I'm a big fan though. Nana. Did they have? Did it have um, brown sugar on it too? Probably. I mean, there was. There had definitely was brown sugar in there. Super tasty. Butter and all. You get. You guys ever eat ham on Thanksgiving? Yeah. Uh, no. Only turkey. Well, we're you're, smoking a turkey this year, so you're going to have that. I am looking forward to that. You're a purist, huh? So, you, what? Do you do ham? Uh, we have some. Ham and turkey, both. Ooh, a combo oh, yeah. platter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so good. Uh, well, Ryan, you are one of the... Actually, I think you are the longest standing member of Missio Day Church, if not one of the... It is true. We were the first people to sign the Missio member book. Back in two thousand and eight, I think it was. Man, so let's let's there get into this. There were people at Missio before us, but we are the first ones to officially become members. But you raced all of them to the member book and got there first. It's true, forever and always. Classic overachiever. <laughs> so let's. Uh, how did you end up in Asheville, and how did you end up at Missio? I was raised in Utah, and I was living at home in school and was looking for a way to save up enough money to buy a guitar that I had been eyeing for probably four or five years. And my sister maybe just heard that I was looking for such a job, and she said, hey, you should come out, live with us for the summer, and work this construction job. We work for a construction company. You should come work with us and uh, save some money on rent and save some money for your guitar. So I did. That was in the summer of 2006. And uh, I came out here, lived with my sister, worked for the summer, building houses for a construction company. And at the end of the summer, I had my money and I was planning to buy my guitar and they offered me a full-time position to stay out here forever. And it it was a big decision for sure, but part of it was, hey, this sets me up for maybe getting married and getting out of my parents' house and a real-life job. So I decided to stay, ended up buying that guitar and just settled down in Asheville. How old were you? 22. Do you still have the guitar? I still do have the guitar. It's a Gibson J185 that I play anytime I play acoustic guitar at church. It was a guitar that was hanging on the top shelf of the music store where I took lessons from when I was 12 to about 16. And it always had a sign on it that said, don't touch. <laughs> and I just always remember that was the guitar that I always wanted to buy. And One day I'll touch that guitar. Exactly. Interestingly Forever. enough, I moved when I moved here and I... I moved here for that summer. I, when I went back home to buy it, I went into the music store, and they said, we don't carry Gibsons anymore, and they stopped making that Gibson. And so I was like bound and determined to get it. So yeah. I came back here to North Carolina. I called 17 guitar shops in North Carolina and 13 in South Carolina. Finally found one in Charleston who said, I know what you're looking for. We don't have them, but my friend is the plant manager at Bozeman in Montana. I'll call and see if he'll make you one. So he did, and about eight weeks later, uh, I drove down to South Carolina and picked up the guitar. This is the craziest story. How much would that retail for now? They just re-released it last year for five thousand dollars. All right, so we won't give away your address. I didn't. I didn't pay that much for it. Whatever it was, thirteen years ago. So if you get in a bind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it 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 was the apple of my eye from a musical standpoint for many many years. I'm really thrilled to have it. I love that guitar. That's crazy. Yeah, but that's that guitar is what brought me to North Carolina, is what I say. So how did you end up at Missio? Uh, when I first moved to North Carolina, I was going to church with my at my sister's church, and 
I was invited to a music jam night at a mutual friend's house of Brian's and mine, Ruth Van, and just ended up showing up there, not really knowing a lot of people. This is actually before Maris and I were married, and just met Brian that night. We kind of hit it off, had a great conversation. At the end of it, he handed me a business card and said, hey, we're planting a church. You should come check it out. And I was like, thanks, pal, but I'm already involved in a church. <laughs> so I took that business card and shoved it in our junk drawer and never looked at it again for at least a solid year. And then it was a combination of a lot of things. Part of it was just some doctrinal things at the church that we were at that weren't really sitting super well with me or with mares, as well as in a large church, we were the only ones of, you know, kind of in our twenties that didn't have kids. And so we we're kind of looking for a little bit more community. And it was daylight savings week, early 2008, and we didn't have anything going on at church per se. So we said, you know what, we're just going to sleep in today. Well, there we were just laying in bed, looking at the ceiling. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go and see if I have that business card. So I did. Went and found it in the junk drawer. First time I'd seen it in probably a, over a year. And we just went on the website and we listened to a part of the sermon. And Mares was like, man, this guy's really good. Sorry, Brian. It was it was Kurt. Pastor no, Kurt. it yeah. wasn't me. It's fine. <laughs> uh, and we said, wow, their, their service starts in like an hour and a half. We have time to get up and go. So we did. So we showed up and there was about 20, 20-something-year-olds. 20 and we were like, oh, this is where they all are. Mm. And... And man, we just, we hit it off. The first person I met there was Robbie Green, and he was sitting in our aisle, and he didn't know me from Adam, but when, when mm. Kurt said, hey, turn to John, he like reached over and helped me flip through it to my, in my Bible, and I was like, these are my people, I think. Mm. And we just, we loved it from, the, from day one, and for about two or three months, we were going to the other church and then jetting out the back door and going over to Missio until we kind of made a decision that we wanted to be at Missio, and we, we made that transition early 2008. Very quickly jumped into worship also, <laughs> using that Gibson J1, whatever it was. Well, yeah. So beat boo. <laughs> for the, fir the first day, I just introduced myself to Brian, and at the time, a guy named Josh, who were leading worship, and Josh asked, hey, you are, do you play? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you want to play with us next week? And I was like... Yeah, next week. Oh, okay. And then it was about two weeks later, he was like, I'm going to be out of town. Can you lead this next week? And I was... So a month in, I was leading, mm. which um, I had started playing on the church worship team when I was 12. My mom was a, a worship leader and played piano and early on played guitar. And so I was always involved in church music and led for youth group. And then our worship pastor left our church in Utah around when I was like 16. So from about 16 to 18, I was leading worship there. So it wasn't necessarily new to me, but I was looking for a place where I could get in and serve. And Yeah. I like to call that being voluntold. Love mm. it. I didn't mind. So, <laughs> well, that's the beauty of church planting too. It's like, hey, you're new here. What's your name? What you're can breathing. you do? Are you breathing? Yeah. Okay, we're good. Yep. <laughs> Those were the days. Mm. So, grew up in Utah, non-Mormon, but large family. Yeah. So, what kind of kid were you? How many siblings you got? I was. Uh, they don't call it this anymore, but husky as a child. I I know all about the husky, bro. <laughs> what do they call it now? I don't know. Overweight. Well. <laughs> Whatever, I mean, they, the there was literally the brain, the jeans, so husky jeans. jeans husky. Yeah, didn't those have a dog on them? That is a dog, but anyway, you know, I am one of five. I've got an older sister. She lives here in Asheville, Leah, and I've got a younger brother who lives in Fayetteville, and I've got two younger siblings, brothers, who still live in Utah. And, you know, growing up, I think I was a pretty good kid. I hit a, a patch probably in my mid-teen years where I had... 
I think my family probably calls it my angry years, you know, went through some rebellious stuff, but by and large kind of stayed on the straight and narrow. Wasn't real involved in sports, did a lot of snowboarding, skateboarding, that type of thing. Got into music when you were middle schooler, I guess. Yeah. So my mom, it was kind of a requirement that we all played an instrument. So I started on piano. And when I decided I didn't like that, she said, well, you have to learn something. And I said, well, then get me a guitar. So she gave me her old guitar and taught me what she knew and away I went. But yeah, I'm pretty involved in music ever since and, and church as well. You know, like I said, my, my dad was an elder of the churches that I grew up in for about as long as I can remember. My mom was always involved in music side of things. So grew up going to church, grew up, grew up in a, I would call it a solid Christian family. When would you say faith became real for you? I mean, I know a lot of people who grow up in the church, it's just sort of assumed and maybe you don't remember a specific time, but... No, actually, I remember the very specific time. I was in Awana when I was eight, and Nora Romanowski led me to the Lord. She, It is. I I still love the name Nora, mostly because of her, but um, she was the one that explained to me heaven and hell, Mm. and Jesus was the person who died in order to prevent or allow me not to encounter hell. And truthfully... At that time, it was just, I don't want to go to hell, so you tell me what I have mm-hmm. to do not to do that. And so I think if, if I, I think there's a delineation here, but I think that my salvation probably happened around eight, uh, but my relationship with Jesus probably didn't start till around 16. And in between there, I, you know, again, a good kid, I think, all around, but I really just didn't take my faith seriously. But I had a pastor in our church back at, at that time that really took me under his wing and kind of nurtured my faith and encouraged me and plugged me into a lot of theology books. And that's, I think, I think where my, my relationship with Jesus and my f- real faith took off. Um, did you go to post high school school? I did. Yeah. So I was homeschooled growing up and around 16 graduated early from high school and went to a, like almost like an AB tech type school okay. and did website development for a couple of years and decided that that wasn't for me. It was in 2000, 2001. And it was when that world was moving way too quickly for my liking. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. Took a year off, was working at a Good thing resort. that didn't last, that whole internet website <laughs> thing. The interwebs. Definitely missed that boat. But no, I, I took a year off. I was working at a ski resort for a while and I started college a little bit late. So I started when I was 19 and um, ended up starting. I was actually planning at the time to go to seminary. Uh, the pastor had encouraged me, hey, I think you, you know, I had expressed a calling towards ministry. He said seminary would be a great place to go. And so I said, well, what do I need to do that? And he said, get a college degree and then go to seminary. And so I went to Weber State University in northern Utah. Uh, I was planning on doing a public speaking degree, but the first semester I started, they had just dropped that as a degree. And so I ended up kind of falling into a vocal performance degree. Um, I was offered a full-ride vocal scholarship, and so that's how I paid for school for the first two years. And then uh, when I moved out to North Carolina, I ended up switching my degree to technical sales and uh, finished some of that in classroom and then some of it online. But In a similar it, vein to music, <laughs> <laughs> vocal performance. Yeah, I just knew, I felt probably around that time, 16 years old, that God was just placing a call on my heart for the church. And mm. I didn't really know exactly what that meant, but... I knew it was going to involve people and standing in front, if you will, or music or whatever it was going to be. So I just was looking for the quickest path to seminary. Uh, I decided probably a year into college that no longer was seminary part of my uh, part of my future, but the church was, and so technical sales was 
the next best thing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. I almost fell into it. Yeah. I, mean, I did fall into it more or less by accident, but I, I actually loved the degree. It was, it worked a lot for me. So, mm. okay. So Meredith is your wife. Yeah. How did you guys meet? I was living in Utah and she was living in Missouri and we ended up meeting in the summer of 2005 at a place called The Summit in Manitou Springs, Colorado. It's more or less a Christian worldview leadership type camp. Mm-hmm. And the way they, they set it up or they operate is that for a two-week period, you are more or less in like lecture sessions for like five to seven hours a day. And they're teaching you everything in the world that you might encounter in college from all of the isms and ologies and worldviews and everything in between. But they organize you by age and by girl, boy, girl, boy. So I sat next to Mares for two weeks in a classroom setting like that. And that's how we, we met. And then we dated long distance for two years. The first year I was living in Utah. And then after that first year is when I moved to North Carolina. And so we were dating from North Carolina to Missouri for another year. And we got married in 2007. So wait, did y'all just long distance stay and then get married? Yeah. We spent a total, uh, Mares will know the number, 60 or 63 days in each other's presence from the time we met to the time we got married. So over two years. Okay. That's how we met. And like I say, we, we dated long distance. This was in 2005, um, back when text messages were 25 cents a piece. And we could only... <laughs> and someone would send you K and you'd be like, come on! <laughs> you just of a text. wasted all that money for one letter. <laughs> we, we did a lot of AOL Instant Messenger, uh, snail mail, and long distance calls after 9 p.m. So were they free after 9 p.m.? Sure. Yeah. Don't tell me I'm too young. <laughs> I remember. So as you think back on your years on this earth, what are uh, some of the most transformative moments that, that you can remember? Good question. I I know. I do Thank think <laughs> I think back on a Maybe I'll call it a season of my life. Again, when I was about around 16, I was surrounded by some really great people, a pastor, a youth pastor, and several friends that were just really instrumental in kind of setting my faith on a trajectory that was, I don't really know exactly how it started, but I remember the first book I was ever given was a book called Holiness by J.C. Ryle. And I remember just diving into that book mm. and loving it. And I, I just wouldn't put those types of books down to the point where I was being homeschooled. My mom was like, you got to read some classics. And I just wasn't interested. And so really through high school, I was, I was plowing through J.I. Packer and John MacArthur and John Piper and all of these guys, lots more old dead guys. And that just really set a trajectory for me. And so I just think that period in my life really... Um, really solidified also in my heart a call towards the church and just the church that my parents were a part of, great church, but it had gone through some really ugly things, a church split, a second church split, and just some things like that. And I remember God just kind of put, putting on my heart, like, this is this is why I need people to lead these things. And I just kind of, I even knew from that, that point, that like, okay, I think God's calling me towards either eldership or being involved in church. And that, I've never been able to escape that since. Uh, I think probably fast forward that a good ways. This is going to shift gears a little bit, but shortly after we got married, this is a and this is a story that I can't tell by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, my Mares isn't here to tell it with me, but this is every bit hers story as well. So you can ask her more about it yeah. for even some more details. But you know, from the time she was five years old, and probably in a in in me, we wanted to be parents, and you know, getting married, we were like, hey, let's give it six months, and then we'll start trying to have kids. And we did, and, and nothing was happening. And, you know, I'll, I'll make a really long story quite short to say that, 
you know, we went for 10 years with a lot of outside help and a lot of prayer and a lot of community support, but trying to have kids and kind of coming to a place where we just really ultimately felt that God was saying, you know what, I, that's, that's not what I have in store for you. And that was a transformative moment because that was, you know, that was 10 years of obedience to God and saying, okay, God, what do you want us to do next? And then just stepping out in faith and doing that, um, walking through that journey and coming to the end and God saying, well, that's not what I have for you. You know, like yeah. that was, that was rough. And we came out of that, uh, I think much deeper in our faith, much deeper in our relationship with each other, even though it was strained because of, a you know, going through that for so long and then coming out of that, not really knowing what to do, you know, like feeling like, okay, kids are going to be a part of our life. We bought our first house across the street from a park thinking that's how that was going to go. And, mm. But, you know, in hindsight, coming out of it, I think, for instance, we we got to that end of that 10 years and we felt God saying, that's not it. And then we said, well, what? And that's when we ended up buying our house that we currently live in. It's a little more space, but we felt like if, it, if we don't have our own family, we want to have room to entertain other people and have other people into a space. And our first house just wasn't quite accommodating for that. It also led to, you know, a couple of job changes for me and also for mayors, but it's allowed her to stay at home and watch other people's kids, which mm. is just blesses her heart. And it, I love to watch her be able to do that and to be, you know, a pseudo parent to, mm -hmm. to other kids. Cause I just, you know, that, that call's always been on her heart. And so there were some, of course, many transformative moments over all of those years. But I think that that was a big one that really just set our faith to say, you know what, we believe that God is good and we believe that he is faithful and he's shown himself to be that. And I believe more than ever that he wants our obedience and our obedience doesn't always mean that we get what we're asking for. It yeah. just means that we get God and it's been a bumpy road to figure that out. But of course I think we do, we believe it and we, we wholeheartedly believe that. And I think that's been a bit really big part of our story. I don't know if I'm in a transitional or a trend. Uh, what was the word? Transformational. Transformational moment right now, but I was I was uh, laid off from my job um, over through COVID. I guess I was I was furloughed early on in the spring, and then towards the end of summer was laid off. And so, jumping out on my own and doing starting a construction handyman business has been an interesting transition for us. But yeah. honestly, it's been great. I have really enjoyed so much about it, including doing work for friends, people that I know, being in their homes, and just getting to talk to people that I. I like and meeting some new people, but also working with my hands, which is something I've always enjoyed doing. And for the last 12 years, I've been sitting behind a desk and only working with my hands on the weekends. So, you know, I think going back to yours and Meredith's story, I, I think we talk about this a lot, actually have over the years, two people can go through the same experience and one come out worshiping God with a deeper relationship with more faith, as you mentioned, and then others uh, bitter angry, resentful, uh, hardened, and God clearly allows those trials in our lives. He, Jesus promises you will have trouble in this world, and, and it's a great testimony of, hey, you know what? We trusted God and didn't get the result that we wanted, and yet we still believe God's good. You know, mm -hmm. It's his, the work of his spirit in the two of you, and I'm sure there's still you know, tender spots, and there's a difference between a, a wound and a scar, but yet to see like God has met you, even though you didn't get the result you wanted and you're still clinging to him and still willing to trust him. Like, it's just, it's amazing. And I, I appreciate your transparency, not only here, but I know you've shared uh, that story in sermons that you've preached and mm -hmm. you and mayors are, are pretty open about it with people that you know. And I just really, uh, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. That, um, 
I think we felt pretty, pretty clearly, at, you know, kind of coming out of that. I remember getting the call from the doctor saying, like, I, we went to the doctor's office and he was like, well, you have what we in the medical field call unexplained infertility. And I was like, yeah, that's not what I call it. I, I call yeah. it God, God opening the womb or not opening the womb. And yeah. we, we believe that he, you know, he was in control of this from day one. But I, I went to a coffee shop and was just reading through like First Peter and, and remember, you know, like thinking this is why any, any bump in my faith or all leading up to this, like he mm. has been testing my faith and, um, you know, slowly producing endurance over many, many, many years. And I feel like it's, it, you know, it's had its effect, right? Yeah. Like you don't, you don't like it when you enc- encounter various trials, but right. the accumulation of those various trials really does produce a, a long lasting and deep faith that both mares and I feel very strongly that that's, you know, that that's come to fruition. So, and, and we do feel like this is our story, but it's also one that we want to share with people because we know that we have, we have a lot of friends who are yeah. in the same boat, even family that's in the same boat. And we, you know, we want to avail ourselves and to really demonstrate that God is good and he is faithful regardless of what outcome you come away with. So, so if any listeners, I mean, there are people we know, you know, in the church who have struggled or are struggling with infertility, what, what would be one thing that you would remind them of or, or say to them to, in, in that circumstance? I think the first thing I would remind them of is that they have a father who loves them and that he is caring for them in such a way that they don't, they don't understand. Like I remember we didn't understand the way God was caring for us. You know, it took us 10 years to kind of figure out that it was God's mercy to us Mm. the whole way along that, you know, protected our hearts from bitterness towards him. And I think when you're in the thick of it and when you're going through something like this, you can, you can kind of forget that because you can, you can just kind of point your finger in the sky and say, well, you said, and so where is it, you know, or, or have those feelings, but, you know, be reminded that the Lord has a a much bigger vantage point than you do. And so walk in faith and not by sight, you know, believe that he is calling you into this. If, if he's, you know, whatever that, that path looks like, you know, for us, it was going through IVF and, and seeking out fertility specialists and, and other things. But, um, if you feel like God's calling you to that, step out in obedience mm. and, you know, be faithful to that call that he's putting on you and know that this is God's show, you know, and I believe that he was looking for a way to find glory for himself and not for me. And I'm totally fine with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of that. In fact, I'm reading through the book of Exodus again. It's one of my favorite books, but I look at a way, the way that that God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, but he sets up the whole scenario every step of the way so that God says, Hey, I want you to go and do this, but it's not going to go so hot. Like go tell Pharaoh, but he's not going to listen, uh, do it again. And he's still not going to listen. But the way he does it all along, God is the one that gets the glory and not Moses. Nobody looks back at that and is, is like, Hey, Moses was the man. He just went in there and told him to let us go. And here we are. No, everybody came out of that saying the Lord is faithful. And Moses is a joke. Like, you know, they were, they were calling for his head at one point, you know, like, why'd you bring us out here in the desert to kill us? Like, let us go back. And I just, I look at that and it just is so comforting to me Mm. to look at a scenario that, that seems like a real problem for Moses, but I think it was God protecting him. It was God's way of saying, Hey, um, I'm the one that's going to get the glory out of this and I'm going to use you, but, but this isn't about you. So, um, be reminded of that. If you're going through, Again, it, it can be infertility. It could be any number of things. Sure. But be, but be reminded that God's got a much bigger vantage point than you, 
and uh, he's just asking for your faithfulness and obedience. Good. Thank you. So, Ryan, you were ordained as a Missio Day elder back in the spring of 2019. So what does being an elder mean to you? You know, I thought you were going to ask who his favorite elder was. Oh, that's coming. Oh, good. <laughs> it, it really, it means a lot to me, but I think the biggest thing that it it, it is for me is I, I love caring for God's people. Uh, and that's, it's both a responsibility, but it's also a privilege that I have felt on my heart, like I told you, from a pretty young age. And I, when I came to Missio, I, I sat down with Kurt, kind of our membership interview, and I said, hey, I'm looking for a place that I can be in a position to serve God's church um, as probably an elder or a deacon or something in the future. And if Missio is that place, I'd love to be here to, to do that. I'm not sure why I have felt that call, because I've, I've seen some pretty ugly things in the church, but I've always felt that that's kind of where God wants me to run into and to just step into some pretty messed up situations and, and environments within the church and to love on people. And I, I really take that as a, not just a responsibility, but as a privilege. And so for me, the shepherding aspect, I think, of being an elder, being able to care for people, to protect people, to, um, you know, to guide and to, to point towards Christ. I love, I love all those aspects mm -hmm. of, of being an elder. Yeah. Who do you think is the worst elder? <laughs> And why is it me? Oh, that's uncalled for. I have all of my reasons for loving all of our elders so dearly. You know, I have to say, Mark Knox has a special place in my heart because he and I um, went through the fire together as far as our eldership process goes. I've known Brian for the longest, but, you know, I, this this is an elder team unlike any other. It's a real privilege, privilege to serve with them. There's great vantage points, great strengths. And I think we play off each other really well, mm -hmm. and it helps that we enjoy each other's company and we like each other as friends. So, um, I think Jimmy alluded to this a little bit in his podcast, but both of y'all talked about the process. Can you just kind of tell our listeners what that entails? And if someone was like, oh, maybe I'd want to do that, yeah. give them an idea of what that actually means to join the land of misfit toys. <laughs> JK. If, if anybody <laughs> want, if anybody wants to do this, make sure that God is forcing them into it first. Mm -hmm. Let me say that because it's not for the faint of heart. And I say that with, with all the love and respect for all of our people and for mm -hmm. God's church, but you know, it's a high calling and it's one that God has to place on your heart. And I, Jimmy, I was Jimmy's mentor coming through his his elder process, and I told him, I said, this process is meant to shake you down to the core, and the only thing that you're going to hold on to is the call that God has put on your heart. Mm -hmm. So start with that. Start with a call from God that this is something that he wants from you, and we as the elders will do our darndest to shake you out of it, but um, if the call is still there, then that's, that's where you need to be. Mm -hmm. The elder process is about a year long. And it entails quite a few things. It, it entails uh, coming to the elder meetings, being a participant, kind of understanding what the process is and what happens in our meetings and things like that, and just being a kind of an auditing member of the elder team. It's also quite a bit of reading and training. I mean, I will say you you have to dedicate yourself to it. Mm -hmm. I believe there was 14 books when I when I went through it. And yeah, we reduced it for your rounds. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, you know, it's, but it's, it's great. It's so, it's so good. It's solid reading. Um, we did quarterly trainings where we got together as the elders and just kind of hashed out some things. There's a lot in our process that will draw out of your heart motivations and, and insecurities and things like that. And it's, it's honestly, it's for the good of our people and it's for the good of our elders. I think in, in the end that, that we put them through a pretty fierce mm-hmm. process because like I say, I, I think if there's any false motivations in wanting to be an elder, mm-hmm. it's a mercy to mm-hmm. have those things yeah. mm-hmm. discarded mm-hmm. in the process because all you would want out of an elder is that God said, I want you to do this. I want you to serve my people and I want you to be my representative in this church. You don't want any false motives mm-hmm. in there. So yeah. it was a, a privilege and a blessing to go through that process, but it can be a bit of a trip. So mm-hmm. Why do you hate bananas? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Only a real friend would ask that. <clears throat> you know, my hate for bananas started when I was 11 years old. You thought I was joking. It's a real no, thing. I know it's a real thing. Okay. Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. Anders also hates bananas. See, and Ashley sways But she's well. two. We're, we're, we, I can have friends with people who don't like bananas. I, I don't know. It, it, Ashley Swayze also hates bananas? So to, does Cricket. To the same extent. What's wrong with you people? To the same extent that I don't. I don't care for the sound of somebody eating a banana. I don't care for the smell. I don't, nothing, nothing about it. Cricket once it. got mad at me in a staff meeting that I was eating a banana. It's like <laughs> I'm I'm borderline that way. Like it will make me nauseous if somebody's eating a banana near me. So I will say this: when I, I got married in Missouri in May, and my brother, who was my best man, stuck bunches of bananas in a black garbage bag for two weeks in the trunk of a car. No. And on sure my ba- at my bachelor party, all six or seven guys jumped me, held me down, and smeared me top to bottom with rotten bananas. And They're not your friends. I threw I threw away the clothes. It wasn't even worth salvaging those. Did you um, vomit? No, I just hated most of those guys for a long time. But now, if that had, if that had happened and you hated bananas because of that, I, get I totally Wait, get you it. Were but you hated them before. At Eleven. Yeah. No. It, I remember just one day my sister split a banana after we were uh, like unloading the dishwasher. You're like, I hate those things. That's about what my response was. I just probably the day, probably the day before I was eating bananas, and that day it was the end of it. So. All right. Why do you hate puppies? <laughs> <laughs> I just had. No, I thought no comment. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I think we're getting down to the short rows here. Nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. Yep. What does the future hold for you and Meredith? And if you need more help in that, what do you hope for the next three to five years of your life? Oh, that's a that's a big window in time. And I... Okay. Mm, well, fine. <laughs> let, let, me, let me start by saying I, I don't know what the future holds for me right now. I... I started this venture of starting a business and kind of getting back into my construction roots, and I'm real happy doing that right now. I don't know if that's what God has me doing in the long term, but that is what he has me doing in the short term. And so until he says something else, then I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep enjoying it. I think for for Meredith and myself, we are in the process of working through a lot of Enneagram stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Mares is putting in a ton of work uh, for, you know, on the Enneagram and learning a lot. I am scratching the surface of that, but I think together we're, we're kind of on a path right now for some growth. And it's been, mm-hmm. it's been interesting to kind of dig deep on that and figure out, uh, you know, we had a conversation even last night that there are things in my approach or in me as a person that I have valued and cherished that I'm coming to, coming to find out like, that's not helpful with, you know, with, for other people specifically for a spouse. It's like, Oh, 
I'm going to have to die to that. And, and that's a part of me that I like. And, you know, so I think growth in general for, for both of us is certainly a trajectory that I think we're, we're pursuing right now. And of course, with God's help, we'll, we'll always be on that path. But I don't know. We, we have kind of long said that, you know, God has us here in Asheville and at Missio Day. And until he says go, we're, we're here. So we we we've we've plugged into Missio. Don't say go, Lord. We like don't to hear go. that. Don't we like <laughs> to hear that? Uh, you know, somebody asked me like, "Hey, you know, Mayor's works from home, and you have a job that can take you anywhere. So you guys are gonna you know go someplace?" And and I, and I said, "Why? No, I, you know, I I don't I don't think so. I think he he a good twelve thirteen years ago, whatever it was, said Asheville's your place and Missio's your home. And until he says that is not the case anymore, we're gonna hunker down and keep doing what we do. So when you hear that, just check it by Brian real quick first. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the Lord already told me you're staying, so oh, yeah. you don't need yeah. to ask him anymore. Uh, God loves you. And I have a wonderful plan for your life until Great. no, um, I, in all seriousness, I, I am really grateful for that kind of longevity. Mm. You know, this is a, a city that tends to be very transient and mm-hmm. people, even leaders are in and out. We've had elders in and out just because of job changes and stuff like that. Thanks, John Bieber. And uh, <laughs> just kidding. Love you, John. Love you, John. Come back. Um, but, to, you know, to have obviously our friendship, but also your membership here, the entire life of the church essentially so far yeah. is, I'm grateful for that. I mean, it just, you know, you, you know, when we talk history of the church or culture mm-hmm. or people, like you know, and you're one of the few that does because you've been around that long. It's great. It's, it's awesome. been great. It's been a it's been a great ride for for us. I know Meredith specifically would would attest to this too. But like, we love our people here. We love our community. We love this church, and we you know COVID has certainly rung us around for a while here. But like, we just want to get we we love our people. We want our church to come back together. And we just can't wait to see people on a weekly basis because yeah. I don't know. It's it's like it's our family. I mean, I have some family that's close by, but we we truly love this church and treat it like it's our family. So mm-hmm. you talked about Enneagram real quick. What number are you? What number is Meredith? And do you think Meredith can tell me what number I am? I I think Meredith would probably have a a sense of what number you are. I'm not going to go there. I myself am a, a good and why would call. she say eight? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not gonna go there. Um, good call. I, You're a smart man. I, I myself, I myself am a type nine, and Meredith is a type two. Though she has a real strong one. Um, right. She, she ranks uh, ranks her number two. Like when every time, any time she has taken the test, her two and one have been within mere points of each other. So. Yeah, I think that's how my seven and eight are. Yeah. Well, and it's actually not that uncommon. Christina, my I wife is a 5-6, like almost identical, but mm-hmm. but her core motivation is more of a 6. All right, we're going to wrap this up. All right. Okay. <coughs> let's So, shoot. let's see. Hey, wait, before we get into this. Uh-huh. Do we not have a good lightning drop? Like Well, it should be like Kachow. Did you panic buy toilet paper? No, but we buy it on Amazon, so we already had oh, a whole yeah. stock. We we were literally able to laugh at those. I'm sorry, laugh at those who needed to panic buy toilet paper because we had stockpiles of it already. I hear oh. it's running out again. Oh, Lordy, 
So you better panic buy some more. Please out. I didn't paint it by the first time, but now we're going to be in a, what's it? Pickle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saying. Ryan could get you have done it. out of a jam. <laughs> what's your favorite part of the work day in general? The morning. Uh, I'm a morning guy, so I, I like to wake up, start my day early. What time do you wake up? Right now I'm getting up around 6, 6.30, but when I'm in a good workout routine, it's closer to like 4.45 to 5. What's your go-to dance move? I do not care for dancing. Sitting in a chair. <laughs> Sitting in a chair. So if you go to a wedding, you and are not on the dance floor. What's something that your family would be surprised to learn about you? My family? Yeah. My family? <laughs> that you're a redneck, apparently. <laughs> That's actually probably what I was going to say. My parents were just here, and I said I need to get my oil changed, and my mom looked at me like she was going to throw something. Because they say oil here in the South, and they don't say that in Utah. So, Tell me a time that you felt super old. I have to say I feel old every time I turn the radio on and listen to the hits, mm. and I think this is nonsense. <laughs> Not a fan of the music today. That's Dang that's, kids in their songs these days. Yeah. Noise. TikTok. Just noise. Uh. Oh, TikTok. <laughs> Drives me crazy. I will say I, I just, I do, I feel old at those things. And I, I feel old when I tell that story about texting mares at 25 cents a text. Mm. Oh, yeah. And AOL Instant Messenger and mm. snail mail and... But I'm not that old. Um, what board game are you absolutely amazing at? You know, I crush it at Splendor. That's a more or less a card game, not quite a board game. Then I, you can't talk about that. One. I do love, <laughs> I do love games. I love, I love any kind of games. My family is a gaming family. Mares does not care for games, so I go to my sisters to play games. But right now, I am jamming some Star Realms. Okay. It's a deck building game, and I love it. I asked you that. I haven't asked anyone that question, but I knew you'd be a good person to ask because you like the gamies. Mm -hmm. Do you have a word you always mispronounce? I have to say no. I'll tell you it. It's no. the word no. <laughs> oh. Oh. No, I don't think I mispronounce any words. I do, I do think, so my dad is from India. He learned English as a second language and he learned it in school where they kind of taught British English. Mm. And so even to this day, my dad will put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable or maybe a little bit of mispronouncing, mm -hmm. but he's lived in the States longer than he did in India. So he doesn't have an Indian accent, but sometimes I'll catch a little bit of that British English in his dialect, but I, I don't, I don't think I mispronounce much. Can he say Chipotle the right way? Cause we know several people who don't say it the right way. Well, just as our joke, I say Chipotle, but no, it is Chipotle. definitely not that it's Chipotle. Do you like cilantro? Love it. Yeah. And all for those soap people, I don't get it, but if it, it tastes like soap, I can understand like you don't want it, but cilantro is probably God's gift to food. So it, good. It's so, it's so delicious. You might as well. Mm. But so are bananas, so you're both wrong. Dial I'm on out. my I'm out. food. Yeah. What's the best prank you've ever pulled? On April Fool's Day, I had a friend of mine pose as an IRS agent and call my parents and get my mom on the phone saying that she was being investigated for tax fraud. That, that got me in a lot of hot water with my mom, but <laughs> I would imagine so. We had a great time in the office when that was going on. Oh my goodness. But I will say maybe a close second to that was I have a friend named Kirk who claimed that he never looked at his keyboard when he typed and all of us who sat around him knew this to be false. And so one day I went over with a knife and I popped off the C and the V and I switched them around <laughs> and he came in the next day and we heard him typing along and all of a sudden a whole bunch of 
mashing on the delete button. And we all spin around and kind of look at him out of the corner of our eye. And he's typing away and then hitting delete, 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 delete. Typing away, delete, delete, delete. And he starts getting flustered. And he picks up the phone and calls IT and says, my keyboard's broken. And we just started <laughs> dying, dying laughing. And it was a big, you, you know, I told you so moment. But That but, is pretty good. But he wouldn't have noticed if he was looking at the keyboard. That's what I'm saying is he was looking at the keyboard and seeing C and hitting C instead of V. So if he wasn't looking at his keyboard... He wouldn't have missed it, wouldn't have skipped a beat. Mm. And then he filled a bunch of bananas into a trash bag and <laughs> helped your brother. Um, did you used to work in a cubicle? Like an environment? Yeah. What's that called? An office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I worked in an office for 12 years. Because um, we, we, we skipped the whole, you were a recruiter yes. after the construction bust. Well, it's been a blast letting you tell your story today. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and I consider you both great friends, so this was an easy podcast. Fantastic. All right, well, this has been Season 2. We are concluding with today's episode, and so uh, we're going to take a little hiatus, but we'll be back again at the new year. If you are interested in being a guest on the Vox Pop, then email us at voxpop at mdcashville.org. See you later.